So let me explain a little about Christmas Day. We've never really been this way before where, where Christmas falls on a Sunday. So here's what we're doing. So we're doing these two one-hour services, Christmas Eve, and then also a one-hour Christmas Day. And that's so there doesn't have to be any volunteers, no nursery, no nothing. Bring the kids in. You say, well, what are we going to do exactly Christmas Day? Christmas Day is going to be similar to Christmas Eve, except with all of the, we got a lot of art stuff that's happening on Christmas Eve that won't be happening on Christmas Day. So you're going to get on Christmas Eve, like a mini message of the full message that I'm going to speak on Christmas Day. And so if you're one of those that, you know, does it count that we went on Christmas Eve? Yeah, it would count. (laughs) It, it, It would count. But if you want the full thing, come on Christmas Day. So that's what's happening with that. Okay. Um, today I want to talk about the mystery of Christmas. So here's, here's us growing up. Um, Christmas was always special, and there was a certain mystery around it right from the beginning. I mean, for one thing, gifts themselves are mysteries. People are giving you things, and you don't know what it is, and that mystery creates anticipation and excitement. And my little brother Jimmy and I, we've got, there were six kids in the family, but it was the first four, and then uh, mom and dad lost a baby, And so we're the final two. So we were kind of a family unto ourselves. So Jimmy and I spent a lot of time together. And there was, we were just insane about gifts. And and our our siblings knew that we were insane about gifts. So they made a big deal of them. And and so there's a mystery. There was a mystery around the gifts. Um, And then for, for whatever reason, parents like to make this mystery around Santa and all of the shows do and and we couldn't figure out Santa and how does Santa get from one house to another and and how does all that work? We, we weren't sure about that, but we knew the gifts were real. Whatever Santa was, those gifts were real that came under the tree. But you know what? Even as a little kid, there was something more. We, we would carol every year and sometimes on Friday nights Jimmy and I were left at home alone and everybody else was out doing their whatever and we would we would sit around the Christmas tree and sing carols and we didn't have any idea really exactly who Jesus was or any of that but but there was there was something there was a presence there was, there was a deep mystery calling to us. Christmas was more than gifts. It was more than the lights. It was more than all that. Today, we're going to look at the mystery of Christmas. This is, this is a shorter passage, so could we stand as we read God's word? This is Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Could we pray together? Lord, open our hearts. Draw us in like you did the wise men of old to worship with confidence. Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit. We are gathered. Lord, even in those days, the journey they made was was not convenient. They overcame many obstacles to get there, to experience that. And there have been some inconveniences that have had to be overcome this morning just to be here. Jesus, you are worth it. Open our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. You may be seated. So I've titled this The Mystery of Christmas. First, I want to talk about the mystery of the Magi. First, and it's really important around Christmas that we kind of wean ourselves away from myth because there's so many things that have been added to Christmas and to the Christmas story and so many things that are not in the Bible. And I mean, it's actually amazing how many things have been added and we start thinking that's how it was. That's not how it was. So Magi, for starters, they are not kings. (laughs) Magi were a group of wise men that counseled kings. They were counseled leaders. Kings, starting in Nebuchadnezzar's day, had magi or a a group of wise men, advisors around them to give them counsel. So the question uh, that I want to propose to you is, are these magi spiritual descendants of Daniel. 
We know they came from the east. Babylon is directly east of uh, Israel. Is it too much to propose that they are the spiritual descendants of Daniel? Well, let's think about it and let's talk through all of this. First, I think this is really important. Daniel was made by Nebuchadnezzar, this is from Daniel 2, the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel's in charge of these guys. Daniel, he he got put in charge when God revealed a dream to him that none of them could understand. Daniel is speaking in to their lives. They They see many miracles under Daniel. They see first this interpretation. They see... Uh, the three Hebrew children saved from the fire. They see Nebuchadnezzar humbled. And, but most importantly, Daniel prophesies, starting from Daniel 2, uh, about many things that are going to happen. Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, uh, and on, all prophesy about the events that are going to happen after Babylon. First, Persia, then Greece, and then a fourth empire that he does not name. He does name Persia and Greece, but he doesn't name Rome. But there's going to be a fourth um, empire that that comes. Notice that they are worshipers of God, not of stars. They are astronomers slash astrologers, but they aren't worshipers of the stars. They're worshipers of God, and specifically, the God of Judah. They have seen his star, the one born king of the Jews. Where is he, the one that was born king of the Jews? Interesting. Why do I think they're the spiritual descendants of Daniel? Because of their confidence. They don't say, was there a king born? They say, where is he? They they are convinced that this is the time and they are convinced of his identity. Honestly, I just think they have access to, to Daniel's writings. Daniel is the only one that gave the prophecy about the time Messiah would come. Daniel 9, 24 through 27, and I unpack all of this in the end time stuff. He gives when Messiah is going to be on earth. It it, it says in Daniel 2, when Nebuchadnezzar sees the statue, you're the head of gold. Then there's another kingdom coming. And then another one after that. And then there's going to be a fourth kingdom. And during that fourth kingdom that comes, which would be Rome, there's going to be a stone cut out of heaven's mountain. And that stone is without human hands, it says, is going to come to earth. This is the time approximately that Messiah would appear. They are looking for him. But then, stunningly, they have his identity. 
They know he, he isn't made king by man. He doesn't grow to be king. He's born king. He came from heaven, and he is somehow God in the flesh. He is worthy of worship. Daniel chapter 7, in my vision, he's talking about Messiah. In my vision, at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. In many ways, this is the message of Daniel, that all of these kingdoms, starting with Nebuchadnezzar, these kings are all going to pass away, but another king is coming. And his kingdom will never pass away. There is another kingdom. All of the kingdoms of man are going to crumble and become dust. But there is another king coming that's going to set up an eternal kingdom. And they have seen these prophecies for the last 400 years filled very specifically about Persia and then about Greece. And now it's Rome. And their hearts are filled with confidence. This is the time of Messiah. And his identity is already known to them. But that's not why they made the journey. They made the journey because of a star. Because of a sign in the heavens. Stunning. Did you know that in Genesis 1.14 that God says that he gave the stars and the sun and the moon not just for seasons but for signs? Do you know in, in Acts chapter 2 verse 19 it says he does wonders in the heavens above that point to signs on the earth below. The heavens cannot be manipulated by man. There's no way man can make the heavens. And God gives signs in the heavens that are pointing to events on the earth. Before his second coming, notice in Matthew 24, that there will be signs in the stars and the sun and the moon that are pointing to this event of his second coming. And here we have in the first coming, something is going on in the stars that leads them to believe that Messiah has been born. So how many of you, it's a very spiritual question, how many of you guys have ever played Clue? Have you played Clue before? Mrs. Peacock did it with the lead pipe in the ballroom. And, and, and the, the way Clue works is you, you get your own little cards, and so you know those. There's three, there's one person, one place, and one weapon that's hid under the board. That's the, that's the secret. That's the mystery. And you're given some cards, so you immediately know there are some things that aren't, and then you accumulate clues as you go through until you become confident to make a guess. And then you better be right when you guess, because if you lose, if you don't guess right, you're out of the game. So I want us to look at this. I want us to look at what they saw. Because of the exact science of astronomy, we can actually see in the stars 
today what they saw then. We, they, they literally, it is an absolute science of what every sky of every night looks like. And astronomers can track it. So here we go. Point two is the mystery of the star. God could have used a dream to get him there. He gave, he gave them a dream to send them back. He could have used a dream, but he didn't. He used something in nature. He used a star. Stars, of course, are billions of miles away. Stars have a message that they proclaim, but it's a silent message. It says that the heavens declare the glory of God every night. They're declaring something. For those that can hear in the silence God speaking. It makes me think of Psalm 42. Deep calls to deep. The depths of the heavens are speaking. God is speaking something in the stars. And it's resonating in the depths of their heart. And God is calling them to make this journey. In December of 1980, in Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles, Ernest Martin with John Mosley presented um, astronomical, the astronomical drama of 3-2 BC it was the first time. First, Earlier, much earlier, they didn't have technology for it. And then in more recent times, they, they just had the wrong year for Herod's birth. They got on the wrong track. They put his birth at 4 BC in 1886. I did a whole thing on this called the Puzzle of Christmas History. It's out on the rack. If you want to talk about history, it's all there. But from, for the first 1886 years, the fathers all believed uh, that Jesus was born three, three, the year 32 BC. And then they changed it to 4 BC in 1886. And then in the mid-60s, historians started looking at the actual data and realized it can't be 4 BC that Herod died. And so the new date is 1 BC. And so they started looking in the 3 BC area for the stars, and it is absolutely amazing what they found. First, they found, and they presented all of this to, to the, in, in Griffith Observatory to scientists that were astronomers of why they made the adjustment. Here's one thing they found. They found the census. The census in 3 BC has been confirmed now by three extra-biblical, not the Bible, historical, archaeological sources. And it, it turns out that the whole census was not for taxes. It was a census, it was for an oath of allegiance to Augustus. Augustus was made Augustus in 27 BC. And in 2 BC, they were presenting him on the 25th anniversary, this huge title and that was presented by all of the people of the empire, not just the direct Roman citizens, but all of the client kingdoms as well, of which Israel was one. 
And the purpose of this census was to give their allegiance to Augustus, and they came from all over the place, everywhere, and Josephus, who writes about the Jews, actually says the Jews were were part of this. So this is confirmed by three extra-biblical sources, plus Josephus says they were part of it, and it's dated in all of them as being in 3 B.C. This is the census that Mary and Joseph came back uh, to Bethlehem for. So what else is going on in 3 B.C.? That, that led to this adventure. Okay, first we have to define a conjunction. A conjunction in the heavens is a close approach of celestial bodies. So from Earth's perspective, you can have stars line up with planets and that's called a conjunction. And when it's really, when, when they come together depending on how many degrees it is, it can even look like two stars right next to each other or it can look like one huge star. Um, So on August 12th, 3 BC, at the very time that they're doing the census, because they did the census during the summers, these three, uh, or these wise men, we don't know how many there were, would have seen Jupiter and Venus come into almost a complete conjunction in Leo the lion. Leo the lion, the lion was associated with the Jewish people from ancient days. You, you're, you wonder, where did the zodiac come? The zodiac is ancient. It, came, it was, Job gives the different places of the zodiac. Tradition says that Seth first received the Zodiac, and it's been around all that time. Well, Judah has always been associated with the lion, Leo, from the prophecy in Genesis 49. So this is, in, within the constellation of Judah, there is a very close conjunction of Jupiter and Venus. Then what happens on September 14th, is there is another conjunction. This time it is between Jupiter, and Jupiter was referred to as the king. It was the, the king planet. You say, well, why, why would they call Jupiter a star? That's what a planet is. The, the name for planet is wandering star. So, for, for, especially for somebody back then, there were two kinds of stars. There were wandering stars, which we would call planets today, and there were fixed stars. So first there's this, this conjunction of Jupiter and Venus, then in Leo, and then there is a conjunction of Jupiter with Regulus. Regulus is the brightest star in Leo. It is a fixed star. It is one of the brightest stars in the sky and it comes into a conjunction. Jupiter leaves Venus and comes into this conjunction with Regulus. Regulus is the name king. So you've got the king star and the king planet coming into conjunction. At the very time that they're making this allegiance to Augustus as being a divine person on earth, 
there is this conjunction in the heavens. Is that when the wise men made their journey? No. They weren't at the nativity. (laughs) The wise men come and say, where is he who was born? It's over a year later. We know this for sure because Herod interviews them as to the exact date that the star first appeared. And then the reason why he has the babies two and under killed is because of the time they gave him. It's it's right in the text in 2.16. So this is over. It's between one and two years later that the wise men have come. Jesus is already born. They did not start this journey because of the conjunction of Jupiter and Venus and the conjunction of Jupiter and Regulus because it's not a year It's not a year and a half journey. But here's what happened in 2 BC in the heavens. To understand this, you got to understand what retrograde motion means. Retrograde motion, I'm just going to read it to you. Maybe I'm not going to. A planet appears to stop and go backwards from Earth's perspective. So these planets are all orbiting and we're orbiting. And from our perspective, sometimes a planet, one of those that's way out there, will go like this. It will stop and then it will go backwards. So Jupiter, after it goes into this conjunction with Regulus, it goes for a while and then it stops and it comes back and it makes a second conjunction with Regulus. This is on February 17th. It goes past Regulus, stops and comes back again and makes a third conjunction with Regulus. And that was on May 8th, 2 B.C., I'm going to just read to you what uh, one of the scholars said about this. In 3-2 BC, Jupiter's, Jupiter's retrograde wandering would have called our Magi's full attention. After Jupiter and Regulus had their kingly encounter, Jupiter continued on its path through the star field. But then it entered retrograde and headed back to Regulus for a second conjunction. After this second pass, it reversed course again for yet a third rendezvous with Regulus. A triple pass like this is very rare. So three times the king planet and the king star come together. But then something stunning happens. On June 17th, 2 B.C., Jupiter comes back to Regulus, but this time Jupiter meets Venus and there's almost an exact conjunction. It's 0.01 degree was the the difference. And the, the brightest star that has been seen in recorded history and, uh, 
it is, it is an extremely close conjunction. It would have appeared as one star. It would have lit up the sky. This is June 17th, 2 BC. I'm just going to read to you uh, what one scholar said about it. By the way, this, this is the Christmas star that is shown in planetariums all over the world. June 17th, 2 BC, Jupiter came back to Regulus again. But this time to meet Venus in one of the closest conjunctions in recorded history. Exact conjunctions of Venus and Jupiter when they fuse into one body to the naked eye in the evening or night sky are very rare. And having such a conjunction happen on both sides of Regulus with Jupiter passing over Regulus three times in the interim is unique and an impressive thing to view. It never happened 2,000 years before, nor 2,000 years after 3-2 B.C. Then the text says that the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. So we know the star has to be a planet because stars don't move. It has to be one of the wandering stars. Jupiter is the Christmas star. It moves westward and then it stops over Bethlehem. I'm just going to read another scholar. After the conjunction with Venus and Regulus, Jupiter then moved westwards. By mid-November, it had passed the zenith and was shining in the western sky and still moving west. Six weeks later, Jupiter had reached its furthest point west, came to a halt, and stood still against the background stars in the sky, 65 degrees above Bethlehem. It is called retrograde motion. An astronomer tracking the movement of planets through the star field watches not so much on the scale of minutes, but on the longer scale of days, weeks, and months. On this scale of time, Jupiter did stop. On December 25th of 2 BC, as it entered retrograde, Jupiter reached full stop in its travel through the fixed stars. Magi viewing from Jerusalem would have seen it stopped in the sky above the little town of Bethlehem in the abdomen of the constellation Virgo. So they're in Jerusalem. They see the star. It has stopped. They, they have been told when they, when they got to town, they asked, where is he born? They have access to Daniel's writings, but Daniel doesn't have the prophecy about where Messiah is born. So, so Herod has them look in the scriptures. And of course, Micah 5 verse 2 says that the Messiah, the one whose days are from eternity, is going to be born in Bethlehem. And so he comes back with Bethlehem. Bethlehem is where you need to go. And as they start walking towards Bethlehem, they see the star, Jupiter, Stop over Bethlehem. And they get filled with joy because they've got it from Scripture and now they've got it in the natural. It says it stopped over the place where they were staying. (laughs) Guys, it's not that the star was over the house. It's that it was over Bethlehem. The only time a star points to a specific house is in the movies. 
This don't don't over spiritualize this. They came to town, and they asked people, where, where, "Tell us what you know." They knew Bethlehem, and what happened when they got to Bethlehem? They asked, "Where it? Where is it? Where is this house? Where is this child?" In Luke chapter 2, it says that after the shepherds had had the angels appear to them and tell them about this child, it says they went and they beheld it. And then it says they went out and told everybody that they knew. These are the people of Bethlehem. Forty days after Jesus is born, they do the purification that the law requires 40 days after. And then Luke's gospel tells us they go back to Nazareth. They go back, Joseph and Mary, after the birth, go back to Nazareth. And so if they don't come back to Bethlehem, the wise men don't even find them. It's it's a year and a half later. It's a year and five months later. Why did Joseph and Mary come back? We know why they came the first time. It's for the census. Why did they come back? Well, we can imagine. In Nazareth, Nazareth, they're probably not that popular. It's a very religious community. Mary has gotten pregnant before they were married. Now, an angel has appeared to Joseph and said, it's okay, she was born of a virgin. But everybody else didn't get that angelic appearance. And anybody that is trying to propagate, oh, her birth is supernatural. Uh, I don't think so. So they're not, they're not, they're frowned upon in their hometown. Whereas in Bethlehem, they're heroes. <laughs> Where in Bethlehem, the story has gone out. It is the city of David. It is where Messiah should be brought up. We don't know why, but for whatever reason, they moved back and now they're in a house Not in the manger. They're in a house. And I bet every... Bethlehem's a community of about 200 people. I bet everyone in the community knows they came back and knows where their house is. When those wise men hit Bethlehem and they say, hey, where's the one born? Oh, we know right where his house is. Yeah, angels appeared. We know right where the house is. And isn't it funny that when they, that, that Jupiter goes into a retrograde on December 25th, isn't that incredible? That's the day. That's, that's the day that they bring their gifts. Maybe, maybe celebrating Christmas then isn't that bad. We know it's not when the birth was. The birth was definitely in the summer because the, the shepherds were out with their flocks at night. But it is when we can deduce the wise men came. So that point three, last point. Let's talk about the mystery of the gifts. So they came to bring their gifts. The first gift was gold. Gold was the gift you gave to kings. And the mystery with this is that he was born king. 
was in the days of King Herod. King Herod was made king. Octavius and Antony, after Julius Caesar's death, they co-ruled Rome. And in 39 BC, after they had made a treaty with each other, they made Herod king of Israel. And he came and had to fight a war. And in 36 BC, he defeated the high priest. And this is all in the Christmas history stuff. But King Herod was made king by man. Augustus was also made king. In 27 BC, he had... He had defeated Antony in 31 BC in Actium, and then in 30, Mark Antony and Cleopatra committed suicide. And in 27 BC, the Roman Senate made him king. That's, that's what Augustus is. Augustus is a title uh, the, that means majestic one. It's really not a political title as much as it is a divine title. At the time, they gave him the title Son of God. Julius Caesar had been called divine, and so it was an easy play to make Augustus the son of God. And he was made king by the Roman Senate, and that's why there's a census. It's the 25-year anniversary, and they're giving him a new title called Father of the Country. And he writes about this in his memoirs, and that this oath was about making him king. Well, folks, we've got two kings that have been made by men. We've got King Herod, and then we got his king, which would be Augustus, but both were made king by man. Jesus wasn't made king. He was born king. He was born king. He came from heaven as king. The mystery of the gifts. First, there was gold. Secondly, there was incense. The NAS says frankincense. This points to his being a priest. Last week, I had the joy of teaching Greg's class on the Old Testament serving. We did the last five books of the Old Testament, among which is Zechariah. And we came across many, we looked at many prophecies. I want to read one to you from Zechariah 6, 11 through 13. Take the silver and gold and make a crown. And set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Jozadak. Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. He had already said in Zechariah 3 that Joshua, the high priest, was a type of one that was coming named the branch. And here's what it says about the branch. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from his place. And I'm skipping a little because I don't want to explain all that, and I'm just going to the end. He will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. Okay, the branch of whom Joshua, the high priest, is a a symbol. Of course, Joshua is the Old Testament name for Jesus. Joshua means Savior, just like Jesus means Savior. 
And he's a picture of the branch. The branch, he's called the branch because he's going to branch out from where he is. He's coming from where he is to another place. And make a crown for him. Take the silver and gold and make a crown and place it on his head because there's going to be a marriage between king and priest. There's going to be a harmony between king and priest. This one that is coming is not just going to be high priest. He's going to be king as well. Well, that means there's got to be a whole new covenant. Because in the old covenant under Moses' law, priests come from Levi, kings come from Judah. You do not mix the two. When you mix the two, there's trouble. Uzziah, who was king, wanted to be a priest. And he came in to the temple to offer sacrifices. And the priest said, don't, get out of here, don't. And he got very angry and he started to yell at him and he became a leper. And he was a leper from the day that he died. You don't mix the priest and the king. You don't go beyond your boundary. But God had said to David, Messiah is going to be a priest after the order, not the order of Aaron, of Levi, but he's going to be a priest of the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of peace, the king of Salem, which means peace. And his name means um, he's, the, he's the king and he is the priest all in one. Melchizedek means righteousness. He's the king of peace and righteousness, but he's both king and priest in one. Jesus came to change covenants. He is both king and priest in one person. And then finally, the mystery of the myrrh. Myrrh is a burial spice. Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9.26 says that Messiah, after the 69 sevens, which is the time given for his death, will, will be cut off, yet not for himself. Messiah is going to be cut off. The word cut off there means Messiah's, it's not that he's going to die, he's going to be murdered. Messiah is going to be killed, yet not for himself. When they bring myrrh, this, is, this would be like bringing a coffin to a baby shower. This is, they're bringing a burial spice because Jesus is the sacrifice. He's king, he's priest, and he is the sacrifice. To understand Christmas, you've got to understand it's, yes, we give gifts to each other, we get gifts from, from people. It's about the gift heaven gave. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus was born king, priest, and to be the sacrifice for your sins and for mine. So receiving the gift today, 
So how did they get there? The Holy Spirit used a combination. He used scripture. He used the natural occurrences of what was going on in the stars. And he used people. When they got to Bethlehem, they asked people that knew the scriptures. And when they got to Bethlehem, they asked where the house was. So the Holy Spirit guided these wise men using all of the above. Scripture, circumstances, and people. So here's how I finally understood the mystery of Christmas. It's my freshman year in college. It's the spring of 1981. And there are things going on in my life that are beyond me, that are breaking me, literally breaking me on the inside. Did you know that sometimes your life is trying to speak to you? Sometimes the things that are going on around you, God is trying to speak to you through your life, through failure, through sin, through relationship. I was a broken person as a freshman in college. I'm at the UW-Madison. I'm, I'm studying business. And I will never forget this day. I'm sitting in my dorm room and I am contemplating the purpose of my life. I was a very active person. I didn't spend a lot of time in contemplation about my life. I was too busy doing stuff, studying. I was a very driven person. But I'm, I'm taking time. So, so many things have happened that have broke me that I am contemplating the purpose of my life. And there is a knock on my door. And it's this guy who is part of the Baptist Student Union who lives just down the hall from me on fourth floor celery named Greg. And he says, he says, uh, do you, I want, I want, I've got something I want to share with you. Do you want to talk? And I knew exactly what he wanted to share with me because he had got me going to this Bible study. He loved to, to witness and I love to argue. And so that happened. And, and, um, but I, I knew it was, it was getting serious with Greg. And he said, can we talk? And, and I'm, I'm literally contemplating the purpose of my existence. He takes me down to his dorm room and he shares with me the four spiritual laws. That, that, that The first one is that God loves me and God has a plan for my life. And the second one is that sin has caused a separation between me and God. And the third one is that Christ uh, died for our sins. Jesus took our sins on himself. And those first three, I had always... We grew up Catholic. I knew, I knew those. That's, yep, 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 yep. And then he gets to the fourth spiritual law that I had never seen before. Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. That just because Jesus died does not mean that I'm saved does not mean that what Jesus did is good over me. God will only knock. And I must open. And so he said, there were two circles at the end. One had S in the middle, which stood for self, and it was on a little throne. And all the dots were messed up, and Christ, the cross, was on the outside of the circle. And the other one had all the dots lined up, which stood for goals and purposes. And, and Christ was on the throne. There was a cross on the throne, and, and S, self, was, it was a small S. In the first one, it was a big S. In this one, it was a small S. Standing for self, being submissive to Christ's rule. 
And he said, which one of these two circles is your life? And it's kind of a funny question because if he had asked it any other way, I would have given the wrong answer. If he had said, are you a Christian? I would have said yes. If he had said, uh, do you think you'll go to heaven when you die? I would have said yes, because I thought I was really a good person. I have no idea why. (laughs) There was so much evidence to the contrary, but it's called pride. It's called pride. But he didn't ask either of those. He pointed to the two circles. He says, which one of these two circles is your life? <laughs> there, was, there was no question in my mind that ass was very large in my life. I was the middle of my life. And because of recent events, I knew that the dots were all messed. I was a mess. I didn't know, I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. I didn't know why I was at Madison or why I was majoring in business. So I pointed to that one. And he said... Uh, He said, which one, which circle do you want to be your life? Do you want Jesus as your king? Not just some generic king, but your king. He is knocking. Are you willing to submit to the one who came to save you, but not just to save you, to be your king? And I said, yeah, yeah, that's the one I want. And he prayed a prayer with me. I'm going to have a prayer with anybody that would like to have that prayer soon. But I want you to notice this, this combination of the natural with scripture and with people that brought about the will of God, that brought me to Christ. God is speaking. He's using natural things, just like the wise men. He's using scripture that is forever true, and he's using people. And it's all to get you to to the place Jesus is, to this place where you worship, where you recognize him for who he is. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Let Let me read to you a little town of Bethlehem. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by. Silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming But in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Everything in this world is loud, crying out, and urgent. Just like in that day. But God is speaking. God is is awakening something in the deepest part of our hearts. He's knocking. No, the world can't hear him. World's too busy. World's got too much else going. But he's speaking. For those that will listen, for those that will open up and receive. Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 
A gift is something that somebody else paid for that you get for free. God has paid the price for our sins. The wages of sin was death. Jesus became the sacrifice for your sins and for mine. Why? So that he could give us this gift called eternal life. It starts down here and it lasts for all eternity. Absolutely amazing. And so in 1981, for the first time, I understood the mystery of Christmas. There was something more than just gifts and Santa and lights and uh, 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 the most wonderful time of the year. There was something more. God gave his only son to this world and he was born on Christmas. What a great mystery. Could we bow our heads for a moment? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Lord, we live in such a busy, distracted culture. Lord, each one that's here today is here, I believe, because you got them here somehow. I don't know what's going on in anybody's life. You know what's going on in every single life that is here. You have been speaking. You have been speaking in many different ways to get us to this point at this time. And maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor Tom, I, Jesus is knocking. Somehow heaven is knocking on my door. And today, I want to make him king. Ass, self has been on the throne. And today, I want to open my heart and say, Jesus, come in, not just as my savior, but as my king. If that is you today, somebody prayed with me, some human beings helped me on my way. I want to help you. If that is you today, would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it? See that hand and that hand. God bless you and that hand and that hand. You can put those down. Anybody else by upraised hand? I see that hand over there in the back. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray. Okay. If you raised your hand, just put your hand over your heart and pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me so much that you came to this earth and you came here to die so that you could give me this amazing gift of yourself that I would share life with you not just here but for all eternity Lord I've heard you knocking today Lord by faith I open my heart I open my life I say come in Jesus save me wash me cleanse me Fill me and be my king. I repent for being my own king. 
and trying to tell you what to do. Lord, you be my king and help me to hear your voice every day. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we've got a book for you called The New Life and some other materials to help you back at the Welcome Center or up here um, after the service. We'd love to get that into your hands. Could we stand together? If you just want this mystery of worship to rise in you this Christmas, would you just open your arms like this? We're just going to have a prayer. I've certainly got mine open for this. Lord, we don't want to live shallow lives governed just by our needs and the needs of those around us. We want to worship. We want to have the confidence of the wise men that said, where is he? Where is the one born king? We are here to worship him. We have answered the call of eternity to worship the king. The one who arranges the stars to point to his birth on earth. Lord, awaken worship. And so that all of those other things that have to do with Christmas, maybe they're not in our life this year. Maybe maybe we don't even have a tree. Maybe there aren't lights. Maybe there aren't little children running around. Maybe, maybe this is a difficult time of year. But let us celebrate Jesus anyway. Please, God, we love you. Amen. Thanks for coming out on this cold morning. We're going we're gonna to have some worship. We'll have some ministry teams up here. God bless you and Merry Christmas.